Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. This is coming to you from our new church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I'm Pastor Luke McDonald. I'm so glad that you joined us today. In this feed, you're going to find Sunday sermons from our new church. You'll also find Good News Weekly, which is a collection of content from me, my wife, Kristen, Jay Griff, and a whole bunch of other members of our new church. We're so glad that you joined us today. It really helps, as you know, with podcasts, if you share, if you rate, if you leave a review, any of that good stuff helps get the word out. Without further ado, let's get to today's content. Why don't you turn your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 6? Why don't you turn your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 6? This is good news in the neighborhood. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching, life-giving church. We're going to get to that middle one right now. We are going through uh, the book of Acts. We're just going section by section by section. And I'm really excited about what we find today in the text. What we find in the text today is a problem. And we see how the church solves a problem. I've been home. Um, my boys have been home and a little less busy so far this summer. And I watched the way the three of them, 13, 11, and 9, I watched the way they deal with the fights that they inevitably have amongst them. And when I'm around them, I watch the patterns of how they deal with solving problems. And when you watch it over and over and over, you see how some people, when they want to solve a problem, get louder, and some people get quieter, and some people throw toys at each other. And we get older, but we don't really change that much. And if you came to church later in life, you may think that the Christian community never has problems or fights. Uh, and you must be new if you're still kind of tracking along. Uh, but what we find in Acts chapter 6 is something, I think, really powerful. Let me just read it to you, and then I'll tell you what the message is about today. Starting in verse 1, if you're ready, say ready. ready. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Uh, the title of this message is How Christian Community Solves Problems. How Christian Community Solves Problems. We see here a pattern that we would do well to take note of and take care of, because whether it's in your family, at the Thanksgiving table with the extended relatives, or whether it's in church with people that you've known for a long time, or whether it's in a new church like we are that's blessed with a lot of unity right now as things are going well together, inevitably, Christian community starts and hits a problem, and how we solve problems must be understood and determined before we get to the problems if we want to handle them well. So I'll just walk you through the text, and then I'll show you a pattern. First verse, this is the problem. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, there was a complaint by the Hellenists, and it was against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That's the first verse. Now, it's interesting to note, Luke doesn't say it, but we know from some historical things we've been able to put together, that between Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 6, five years have passed. So the first five 
uh, chapters are kind of like the honeymoon phase of the church. Now we're into maturity, and inevitably in maturity, there's problems. And the problem was that the church made it a priority to take care of vulnerable people. Anywhere where people love Jesus, inevitably, vulnerable people are taken care of. And this is just an aside. Don't fall into the like, narrative that's out there that the church doesn't take care of vulnerable people. Everywhere you look on planet Earth, the people stepping up to take care of widows, orphans, the people starting hospitals, the people helping. Nobody adopts more people than Christians. No more, nobody uh, puts more people out of the foster care system into their home than Christians. Christians all over the place. we got lots of issues to deal with. But Christians know and have this sense deep down that if I believe this book and I believe in Jesus, then I need to do what I can to help vulnerable people. It's pretty straightforward. And so what's happening here is there's two groups of people in the church. There's the native-born people, the Hebrews, they're the people that were born and raised in Jerusalem. They're like the, the people that have been around a long time. There's also the Hellenists. These are people with a Greek background who had the same faith. They were had a different, different ethnicity, but the same faith. And they were part of the church as well. Likely, they spoke a different language, but they were part of the church as well. And so what the conflict was that arose is the, the Hebrews, the people that were from there, their widows, the people that were widows in their community, were getting a disproportionate amount of the compassion, the food, the gift, and these other group of people were being left out. That was the problem that needed to be solved. Their complaint was, hey, we're part of the church too. Why are you helping those people but not us? It's inevitable uh, that the temptation to disunity is greater during seasons of success. As we watch the early church, as we've been watching them week by week, the church is growing in number. People are being saved. People are being baptized. Incredible things are happening. And it's almost inevitable that when really great things start happening, then there's this temptation to disunity. You can see this all over the place. A company starts, and at the beginning, everyone's working tons of extra hours and doing everything that they can. And when it starts to be successful, there's more of a, what am I getting out of it? You see it all the time with sports teams. Everybody's all united till we try to win the championship. And once we win the championship, it's, I want more money. I want more shots. I want more for me. There's this inevitable thing that happens that when things are going well, there's a temptation to disunity. And so here we see a divide. And this divide is an ethnic divide, which is interesting. As so often is true with ethnic groups, the people in this early church apparently tended to associate with people with their shared language and cultural background. And as the church increased and there were more and more people, it was kind of natural that the people formed close associations with people the most like them. There's nothing inherently wrong with this, but it is just something we need to understand about people that we tend to congregate around people that are the most like us. I can look around the room right now and I can see the yoga section and I can see the golfer section and in the next service, there's other sections, and there's, there's just something inevitable, right? It's, it's not wrong, but reality is that we tend to congregate and associate with people that are like us and people that think like us. One of the reasons that social media has so incredibly warped our world and our minds is it feeds us people that think just like us all the time, and so over a while, we start to think that our perspective is the only perspective. And so this is the problem that arises in the church. I'm belaboring it because I want us to understand it. The problem was one group of people said, hey, just because of the language I speak doesn't mean I shouldn't be treated the same by the church. Just because of the background that I speak, shouldn't, I shouldn't be treated differently. Why? Because how we treat vulnerable church members is a primary identifier of our faith. If we're not going to take care 
of people in the community who need help, then the whole thing here is kind of made up. And I'm blessed. We're, I'm seeing it lots of different ways in places right now. Uh, lately, a few folks in the church, there's a, a family who's had a son that we thought was going to die, and a whole bunch of people just started praying, 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 and all of a sudden, a miraculous medical miracle has happened. And uh, another family in the church, there was an emergency surgery this week. And I mean, I turn around twice, and people are praying, and people are bringing meals, and people are... Why? Because if we really believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, inevitably, we want to participate by taking care of vulnerable people. In Jewish society, widows were particularly needy and dependent. And the Old Testament singles them out, along with orphans, as the primary people who should be taken care of. Also, this group of Hellenist widows was likely to be a sizable group because it was often true in this day and time that people who had faith would move to Jerusalem at the end of their life. Uh, you could think of Jerusalem as like the Boca Raton of the first century. Older people congregated there when their husbands died to die with joy. It was kind of the idea. I thought that was a better joke than the laugh it got. So there was a lot of people there, older women without husbands, and there was this thing, what would happen in the church is people would give food and finance to help, and someone had to be in charge of making sure that everyone who had need got what they needed. And there was a tension and a fight that broke out based on ethnicity and race. This isn't something that's just happening in 2022. Tension and division based on ethnicity and race is inevitable, but that doesn't mean it should be passively tolerated or cynically leveraged. But it is inevitable that when different kinds of people get together, they struggle to get along. It's inevitable. People with different mindsets. Uh, Chris and I lived in California for a couple of years, and we noticed it that the, we think Midwestern people, who in the room is like born and raised Midwestern all the way through and through? Yeah, of course, because you're like descendants of farmers, and that's why you're at the early service for sure. I know, that whole thing. <laughs> but Midwestern people, we think different. We think different than people, even just people in our country with the same language on the West Coast. Uh, Chris and I had dinner with a couple uh, who is part of our church on Friday night who spent most of their life in Colombia, and we were talking about the differences uh, in that country that they were from versus here. It is inevitable that when people from different places or different backgrounds get together, tension arises. That doesn't mean that we should like, just accept it, but there's nothing inherently wrong with that reality. Because many times, the problems between people groups are sourced in ignorance more than arrogance. Watch what happens here. The moment this problem is brought to the surface, the apostles run towards trying to solve it. What we see often in our world today is that the problems between people groups often are more ignorant than arrogant. So let's get to what they do for a solution now. That was all in verse 1 to verse 2. So the 12, they summoned the full number of the disciples. They were like, all right, let's get everybody here. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint them to solve this problem. Notice that uh, the qualification for the job was character, not competency. They were like, we're going to find people who love God, and they're going to figure out how to do this. The apostles were not showing here like an elitist unwillingness to do mundane work. They were showing a desire to continue to do their job, which is to witness to the resurrection, by putting people in charge 
who could help solve this problem. That's what continues in verse 4. They say, so we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And it says that what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose, and there's a list of seven names. Now this, I loved this when I was studying it this week. Sometimes it feels like they put those names, lists of names in the Bible just to try to trip you up. Anyone ever felt like that? Especially like uh, if you're in a Bible study and you're reading through a passage, usually like the Bible study leader will put the person they like the least in charge of the list of names. You read those verses because it gets a little bogged down. But the list of names is here for a, very per- for a very specific purpose. You can put that quote on the screen. All seven of these names would have obviously been shown to be of Greek descent. All of these names, it would have been obvious. I drove by down the street. Uh, the Greek fest is happening this weekend. And whenever you hear a Greek name, you can know it from a mile away, right? Often when you hear a, uh, an Italian name, you know it from a mile away. Uh, you know you're around a Romanian person because they're driving in a really nice car and they were clearly at Nordstrom. You know, you know people by the, way that they, by the way that they roll and they vibe and the kind of background that they have. It's really easy to identify. And the reason why the names are listed was because to a person in the first century, they would read that list of names and it would be obvious to them that all these people are Greek. Why is that important? The apostles said, if your group of people, Greeks, is being mistreated, we're going to pick seven of you guys to solve this problem. The apostles said, apparently, our ignorance or our blindness or whatever's happening here, we're not helping all the people in the congregation the way that we want to. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask seven people, and all of them, not like four out of the seven or something, all of them are going to be people from the group that isn't getting what they need. We're going to ask them to solve the problem. There's something really powerful in that. I'll teach it to you in a minute. So all seven of these people were put in charge. And from this passage right here, if you've ever been in a church in your life, including this one, that has deacons, people that are contrasted to the pastor or the staff team because they serve in a very, <laughs> they serve in a very uh, specific way, that's where this is sourced from. That there's people whose gifts and capacities are to make sure that the church is being run well and run effectively so that the pastor and the other staff can maintain their focus on teaching God's word and being in prayer. Uh, we have five deacons in our church. Uh, here, it's interesting, because here there's seven men are appointed to that job. Later we see in the New Testament, there are men and women. We have a list we can put on the screen. We have five deacons uh, in the church. A couple of them are in this service. These folks meet monthly, and it is, not, it is like not a super fun job. They meet to go over budget and help things with the building and help us solve problems with our area. And they serve in this, what is... Described here in Acts chapter 6, they serve in this way, and these people do a tremendous job of helping us. Let's express our thankfulness to them now. So, this list of seven people, they were set before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. And then verse 7, it says, so now this problem has been solved, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what happens at the end of the story? When the church is unified, disciples increase. When the church is unified, disciples increase. When the church is unified, disciples increase. The job of the church of Jesus Christ, the job of us who are gathered here, is to become a disciple of Jesus 
and to help more people become disciples of Jesus. And when the church is unified, that's when that happens. That's what, we're, that's what the text shows us. As soon as the problem is solved, now the church starts to grow and expand again. When the church is unified, disciples increase. So we see here, and I want to show it to you now, five parts, a pattern of how to solve a problem in the Christian community from these seven verses. And then I want to tell you about a couple problems that we have as a church, and we're going to work together to pray freely, try to solve them as well. How to solve a problem in the Christian community. One, we require, it requires clear and honest definition of the problem. At the very beginning of the story, it's, it's crystal clear. The problem is we're serving some people well, but not everybody well. We're serving some people well, but not everybody well. And so many problems in marriages, in families, in cultures break down right here because when two people or two groups are trying to discuss a problem, they don't even have an agreed-upon definition of the problem, and thus there's no even path to start to solve it. It's completely possible that you've been separated uh, from an aunt for two decades, and neither one of you could actually even articulate the reason why you haven't been able to talk for so long. So often, this, it gets breaks down here. And the text shows it that the church was able to get to a place of clarity about what is the problem. That's the first step. The second step, I see it here in the text, and I hope you see it too, was that the community is gathered and empowered to solve. Notice that the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. They said, here's the problem. Here's how we're going to try to solve it. I think that this is a good pattern to be in to solve problems in Christian community. Uh, one of the ways that we go about doing this here, we have members here at Good News, and uh, twice a year, people can join the membership, and we have member meetings. There's another one coming up. It's on, I think, August the 28th, and uh, those are the times where we, when we're here gathered on Sundays, we're trying to worship God and learn from his word, but there's a regular time to say, here's the stuff we're trying to figure out. What should we do about it? I'll just give you a preview. Uh, often at the second service, we're struggling to fit everybody in the room right now, and at the next meeting, we might talk about, should we get rid of the pews, or sh and because we could fit more people in with the chairs. And you can give a passionate speech if you'd like at that meeting about why we should or shouldn't do that. It's easier for me to sleep during the sermon in the pews. I would prefer that we don't change it. Whatever you want. What's the point? The point is that the community is gathered and empowered to solve. One of the reasons why there is so much frustration in our world today is so many people feel like they don't really have a say in what happens around them. There's some group of people somewhere that make all the decisions. Whatever you feel about this thing that's happening with the Supreme Court, one of the reasons why people raise up with such intense reactions is they have this sense of, whether it's fair or not, they have this sense of, other people got to decide for me. And that's not the way Christian community is supposed to work. The whole community is gathered and empowered to solve. Three, notice in the text that the main thing stays the main thing for the apostles. They are not willing to take one step away from, we're going to continue preaching the word of God, being in prayer, testifying to the risen Lord. It's there in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. It's all there. They say, we're going to keep on being in prayer and in the Bible, and we're not going to allow ourselves to get distracted or called off into some other thing. One of the reasons, often, why Christian community struggles to solve problems is because people start to care more about small issues then they care about each other, and they lose their focus on our commitment to the risen Christ. One of the things that we've worked on from the start here 
at Good News, and we're really working on continuing this way, is it doesn't matter who you vote for, and it doesn't matter your background, and it doesn't matter what perspective you bring to the community. We believe that if we have Jesus in common, we have more than enough in common to try to reach our community. And we purposely want, it's not hard. You can find churches everywhere that are like, oh no, we're a right-wing church. We're, we're a left-wing church. We're conservative. We're, we're woke. We're whatever. And a lot of people in those places love God, and there may be people in those places that have the same perspective as you. But what Christian community is supposed to be able to do is something that the world cannot do, which is people who don't have much in common have everything in common because they have Jesus in common. And that's what we're working at. And when you keep the main thing the main thing, we have Jesus in common. Uh, so many problems would be more easily solved in Christian community if we were able to keep our focus on what really matters and not on the little thing that's frustrating us right now. Four, as I turn the page, there's a solution formed and there's consensus to the solution that's formed. So what the apostles decide to do is they say, all right, we're going to take seven people from that group over there and we're going to say, if, the, if your community, if the people from your ethnic background do not believe that they're being well taken care of, we're going to say, you seven guys, figure out how to make sure that's not true anymore. And it says, I love this, it says that this solution pleased the whole gathering. That's what it says in the Bible, right there. It says that the whole gathering was pleased in verse 5. And so there's this, sent, there's this way in which the group went forward all together. They formed a solution. And then the last part, number 5, maybe the most important, you can't miss it as you look at this text, that the apostles, it says that they, these people were brought to the front, and they were prayed and their hands were laid on them, there was this need to ask God for his help to implement the solution. Many times I believe that we have the right ideas or the right facts, but we don't take the time to ask God to bless us or to ask God to give us clarity, and we lose out on the blessing of the solution. It is so easy as you mature in faith and as you grow forward as a person to start to think, no, no, I know the right answer. I'm going to go that way. And if we don't pause to ask God's help, we miss out often on his willingness to work. We see it in the book of Acts over and over and over that the people pause to say, God, will you help me? God, is this the direction we should go? God, if it's your will, I'd like to go this way. And they had this desire to pause. So I know that this text as we're going through it is not quite here's what to do on a difficult day in your life. This is a little bit more instructional, but it's really important that if you want to be part of community, if you want to be part of a community, that we decide together from the Bible how we're going to solve problems and that we require ourselves and each other to live into what God wants us to do. So let me just, I'll use one as a way of practically trying to apply this. Here's one problem that we have here at Good News in the Neighborhood, our wonderful church. One problem that we have is too few of the people are doing too much of the work. That's a problem that we have here. Now, that's true most places that you go in life. Uh, most businesses and most teams and most uh, families, frankly, even, too few of the people are doing too much of the work. Well, how does that play itself out? It means that there are people that serve in kids week after week after week, and now there's two services, so we need you to serve even more, and there's people that serve and serve and serve and serve, while other people barely do anything. 
and there's a few people that give financially, and they give and give and give and give, while a bunch of other people barely do anything. And there's some people that pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, while some people barely do anything. And this is a problem in Christian community for at least two reasons. Now, the first reason that it's a problem is when uh, people are unfairly relied on or when people are asked to do too much for too long, they inevitably burn out and get frustrated and leave the Christian community. I've seen it over and over and over in my life. When you ask people to do too much for too long, eventually they get burned out. And people who have that personality or that temperament of like, sure, if they call, I'll help. Sure, if they call, I'll help. Eventually, they like need to move to another state and change their phone number because they just don't want to serve in kids at the early service anymore. And we're a new church, obviously, and there's a lot of people in this room who have served so faithfully since we started, and there's others that it's time in Jesus' name to step up. The same is true financially. Anytime you start talking about financial giving, it's important to remember and note that God doesn't really notice the size. God doesn't care about the size of the gift nearly as much as he cares about the size of the sacrifice. God's purpose and design in the church is that everyone gives, everyone serves, everyone prays, and community is built. And the same uh, with prayer. Prayer is the very hardest thing to continue to get people to get involved in. Because in the world that we live in, we so often, just this little part of us down over here thinks that prayer is like a waste of time. When can we get to the real work? And so why we need more people to step up to do more. Why do I not really want to bring this up? Well, because usually when you bring something like this up, one, you have a fear that the wrong people start to feel guilty. Have you ever noticed this, that like the do more thing? Uh, there's people around the room, I can see it in your faces as I'm talking right now, that are already doing a lot, and you can see in their face like, oh, okay, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And then there's other people that are barely doing anything, and they're like, not even remotely paying attention or interested, and they're like kind of feeling good and just kicking back and waiting. And you have this fear whenever you bring this up that the wrong people are going to feel guilty. Two, uh, I don't really like totally want to bring this up because it feels inherently self-serving for the pastor to bring up out loud that we need more people to step up to serve and give. And three, it kind of like is a way of admitting that we're not having the ability to motivate people to do everything that we want to do in the way that we want to do. But this is what was in the word of God for us this week. And so I'm willing to put all that to the side to say, if we want to build Christian community together, dear friends, we all have to do our part. We all have to do our part. And some of us have more resources financially to give than time. And some of us have more time that we can give. And some of us have the ability to pray. All these, are, there's just simple ways that uh, here's how we can solve this problem. This is just one. Uh, we need more people to give regularly in our church as we continue to go forward. There's a way that you can give on our website. If you have like a kind of standard or set income so you kind of know every month, you can say, I'll give this much. I can do that. I don't need to like be there on Sunday to remember to give. I can set it up so that it happens automatically. It's a way of making sure that you give the way that you want to. We need more regular givers. We also need more people to give uh, we need more people to serve like once a month and kids or once a month to come help us with the building or people that can say, hey, yeah, if you have an emergency, someone gets a flat tire on the way to church, you can help me with that. And we also need uh, more people to pray. Uh, Kristen leads a prayer meeting every Saturday morning on Zoom, and uh, you can email her. Uh, 
at that email address, and you can say, yeah, I'll, I'll join in and pray. These are all ways that we can continue to do more so that Christian community can be built. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this because problems are inevitable, and how we solve them makes us better and stronger as a community. I remember um, like three years ago, four years ago, I guess it almost is now, uh, our oldest Carter, who's in the room, um, we had this giant tree bordering our backyard and another family's backyard. And he was like getting to that adventurous age, and so he would start to climb the tree. And uh, I would, Kristen would say to him, don't climb that tree, don't climb that high, don't climb that tree, don't climb that high. And you know how, uh, it was almost like in a movie, you know how when they say to someone like, don't touch this gun, I'm putting it in a drawer. If you watch like three movies in your life, you know that means someone's gonna open the drawer and take out the gun and something bad's gonna happen. It was like the number of times Kristen said, don't climb the tree, somehow made it inevitable that one day he climbed it like 25 or 30 feet and fell out uh, of it and broke his arm really severely. And uh, I remember when we were at the hospital and he had, it was so bad, it was up on the top of his arm and it was like, it almost looked like he had a second bicep. It was like buckled really bad. And I remember the feeling of being at the hospital and the fear, if you've ever had your kids get injured or something, or someone close to you, there's like that feeling where you'd rather be the person in the place. But I remember when they started to give, you may have heard this before, but that familiar idea that our bodies as made by God are so strong and are so incredible in their ability to heal that when a bone in your body breaks, almost inevitably your body, when it heals again, if it's healed properly, doesn't make it almost as good as before. It makes it what? It makes it stronger than before. And the same is true, I know all kinds of people who've gotten to the we almost got divorced place and somehow by God's grace they made it out and now they have a stronger thing than they've ever had before. And I have people in my life, uh, friends that I cared about and people that we went through some difficult things together. We didn't talk for a while. Maybe we had some nasty phone calls or frustrated interactions and then we were able to exchange the proper I'm sorry's and the proper can we work it outs together and now the relationship isn't almost what it was before. It's again what? Better than it was before, stronger than it was before, more than it was before. And if we wanna build Christian community together, which I do, and by opting in to be part of a church today, I'm imagining you do too. We need to solve problems the way that God wants us to solve problems, not the way that we want to solve problems. Most of the time, the way we want to solve problems is, no, it isn't a problem. No, it isn't my fault in the first place. Maybe if you would just say you're sorry, we could fix it. We like solutions that don't require admitting that we're wrong. We like solutions that don't mean we have to do anything extra. But we want something better and more. And so I pray in Jesus' name, that as you encounter problems with people, which is inevitable, and you encounter problems with the church, which is inevitable, and as we go through times, I'm sure sometime in the days ahead where things are challenging, we don't want to solve problems the way the world wants us to solve problems. In Jesus' name, if you agree, please say amen. amen. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to pray, and then we'll get to the next part. So, Lord, we're asking today that you would do what you do with your word, that you would make it useful, that you would make it bear fruit, God, that it would increase. We don't want to be what the world is, Lord. We want, you to be, we want to be what you want us to be. And I ask in Jesus' name, would you strengthen us, Lord? Would you strengthen us? Would you allow us to make space for you? Would you allow us to 
not handle things the way the world handles things, but handle things the way that you want us to handle them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're going to sing. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to follow along with us more, you can find us on Instagram at Good News in the Neighborhood. You can find us on Facebook at the same name. You can find us at www.goodnewsintheneighborhood.org. If there's anything that we can do, pray for you, help you in any way, please find us at that website and leave a prayer request. We'd love to bless you. And uh, until we see you again next time, this is Good News. Good News.